0: What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Those are the words of A.W. Tozer in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, the first page, the first sentence, and on the first Sunday of this year, I want to start thinking about how we think about God because I think he's right. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us and is most important for this year ahead. Everything else in life will fall like dominoes with this first point of, of how your view of God falls. And as our thoughts and our affections for Christ rise, the, that's also the key that helps us rise to whatever challenges we may face in this next year. and God only knows the, the challenges that each of us will face, but He is big enough for any of those, and, and we need to see Him as, as bigger, because if we think small thoughts about God, our, our problems that we face this year are going to look very big as we look at Him. But if we, if we see God... Is bigger, is more who he really is, those problems that come in comparison to this big God will look smaller. A.W. Tozer said, When our view of God is weak, we are weak. But as we see God high and lifted up, that is what lifts us up. So he's right, what we think about God is most important. Here's what he says in that opening chapter of Knowledge of the Holy. Always the most revealing thing about the church is her idea of God, just as her most significant message is what she says about God or what she leaves unsaid. The heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and to elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of Him. He says, this will prove of greater value to the next generation than anything else. The gravest question before the church is always God Himself. And he says, the most crucial question is not what someone would say about God, but what he actually, in his heart, in his day-to-day life, actually believes and lives in light of about God. And he says, if you were able, able to actually get the full answer of that question about any individual, what they truly believe deep in their heart and it affects how they live about God, you might be able to predict the spiritual future of their life. And then he quotes... A Bible verse that we're going to be looking at today in live that Romans 121 that shows the, the future of those who did not glorify God as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. And so if you would turn to Romans 1, I want to look at that passage that he quotes from and I want to look at God together for our next series of messages it was fifteen years ago in January, beginning of the year, that I began a new series as a new pastor here at this church on the attributes of god and it 's not an overstatement to say that was life changing for and in some ways it, it affected me in great ways it it changed our church in in many ways this was a a time that we we grew by many families, many with kids. There were actually very few when we came here. In fact, when we came, we, we doubled the nursery and the toddler church our first Sunday from our, our family. But God was drawing other people here during that series. But most importantly, He was, he was growing our vision of Himself in that series. And I needed it as much as, as anyone else. How many of you were actually here 15 years ago? Raise your hand. Okay, maybe, how many of you were not here 15 years ago? Okay, so that, that gives you an idea. There, there's, and even just if we were to say the last three to five years, I think there's dozens of you that could raise your hands. I can't think of a, a better way to start the new year. Even if these aren't brand new truths to us, this is such a foundational, formational study that I think we all need again. And I am excited for this study. I've been looking forward to this study. I've been praying about this study. Our other leaders have as well. And I, I am praying that God is going to change us. That there's going to be life change. That His attributes would change us again. And Romans 1, verse 20 is actually the one verse in the Bible that uses the word attributes. Verse 20, for His invisible attributes... Namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they, this is men, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So our thinking about God is incredibly important. And those who don't honor God in their thoughts of Him or in their thanks to Him become futile in their thinking. In fact, this passage gives us the progression. There is a dark and there is a downward spiral that begins in hearts and minds that do not glorify God. God's attributes should affect our attitudes. should affect our gratitude. We should be giving thanks to Him. What is an attribute? An attribute is a quality. It's a characteristic. When we think of the attributes of God, it, it, we could also describe it as anything that you can put in the, a blank before this of God. Or God is. So the love of God. Or God is, loves. What we saw in our last study. But that's not all. He is. Look at verse 25, the end of the verse. The Creator who is blessed forever. So God is Creator. That's one of His qualities, His characteristics. God is blessed forever or blessed. Those are attributes of Him. And look at verse 17. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. Those are attributes too. So the word attributes you just use in verse 20, but characteristics or qualities, attributes of God are all over Scripture. You can't go very many verses without finding many of them. And we'll look at His wrath in a couple of weeks. We'll look at His righteousness another week. But verse 20 for today, for His invisible attributes. I want to introduce God's attributes. Namely, His eternal... Power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And later on in this book, thinking of God's power, he's going to speak of it as almighty. But God has attributes for every letter of the alphabet. Someone gave me yesterday a, a list of them alphabetized, but here's just some right in this chapter here. Uh, that we could pray, we could meditate on, and I know some of you do that. He is Almighty, A. He is B. He is blessed. He is C. He is Creator. E. He has or, or D. He has a divine nature. E. He has eternal power, and there's there's actually multiple for each letter of the alphabet. That's a wonderful thing to to meditate on, even if it's hard for you to to sleep maybe at night. Go through, think through the attributes. Of God, and, and meditate on those today in verse 20, we'll introduce this concept of God's attributes and, and look at His eternal power and his divine nature in creation. And just so we see where we're going this morning, why this study is so important. And then how creation shows His power in nature, because that's what he highlights here. and then what our response should be why is it so important for us to study the attributes of God I think there's some that come right out of the text here one would be our walk as verse 20 mentions God's power and his his divine nature and how that should affect our our lives actually in another place Paul wrote that his one thing his His passion, His pursuit is this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. That's what Paul wanted to put everything else. If he could set it all aside, this is one thing he wanted to pursue knowing more of Him and the power specifically of of God in Christ in the resurrection. The language of divine power and divine nature Listen to 2 Peter 2, verse 3, how he talks about this for our lives. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So this is what his power does. Gives us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. So it's through the knowledge of him that his power is actually at work giving us everything everything we need for life and godliness, and it goes on, through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, His magnificent promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. That's that same phrase from Romans 1. We, we participate in His divine nature so that we can escape the corruption of the world in its desires or in its lusts. And so His power, everything that we need for for life and His divine nature in us. These two things that Paul mentions here, these are, these are what we need for life. This is what we need to fight off sin, the desires, the lusts of the world. And everything we need comes through the knowledge of, of Him. His power and His nature. Paul is going to say in Romans 15, verse 13, it's, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we have hope. This is what gives us hope this power that he's speaking of here in God's attributes through the holy spirit this is important for our walk that means our life and also our witness back in verse 15 he says he's before he talks about God's attributes he says he's eager to preach the gospel to you he says for i am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the what Power of God. There's His power on display in the Gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. And then he goes on to talk about God's attributes, His righteousness, His wrath. And here in our text for today, His power, His nature... And, and this should move us as we study these things to, to want to share the gospel, to be eager to share the gospel because the power of God is at work as His gospel goes forth. It is the power of God. We should be unashamed of it. We should trust its power. It's not about our power of persuasion. It's about God's power. And as Paul is going to unfold the gospel in Romans, that's what he's doing. He's preaching the gospel. He starts with Creation. And so it's worth us taking time to start with creation, to think about what creation tells us and shows us about God because this is on display around us all day, every day. It's good for us to spend time in God's Word, but as we're out in His world as well, there are things that He's telling us if we have eyes to see them about Him. There's, there's a ministry that He has before us all the time that I think a lot of us take for granted and, and miss what he is telling us. But Paul, interestingly, when he shares the gospel, when he's witnessing in Acts 17, he he says this God who made the world and all things in it, the the Lord of heaven and earth, as, as Paul is as Paul's explaining him, he says, we ought not to think that the Divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Here's that word divine nature from here. We're not to think the divine nature is like things of this world, an image, he says, formed by the art and thought of man. He says, God is now declaring to all men everywhere that they must repent. For he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in unrighteousness. And so the the creation around us, the One who made that all, He is declaring to all people everywhere that they need to repent. That they need to turn from their sins. And that there is a day coming. There is a day where His power, where the divine nature will come again on the, the nature and the creation of this world and will bring judgment upon this world, and in particular, those who have rejected the gospel and have rejected the Lord, the truths that have been revealed to them who are resisting it. There's judgment coming. And he's declaring that there's, there's a man that he's appointed who's going to judge the world. He's the man Christ Jesus, fully God, fully man. And your only hope for, for when that power and that wrath comes, your only hope is if you'll repent, turn from your sins and trust in Jesus. Trust in His perfect life for you. His righteousness for you is the only way to escape His wrath. And that He died for for sins. He rose again. And for all who trust and and believe in Him and, and turn from their sin, there is through the power of the resurrection, there is eternal life that is given through the eternal power of God. This is the power we also need For our witness. In fact, in the book of Acts, before Paul said that, there was this promise in Acts 1, verse 8: you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, Jesus said, to the ends of the earth. The power that we need to be his witnesses is through the Holy Spirit. So we need God's nature, God's power for our walk, for our witness, and also for our Worship. I love the Scripture that was read earlier from Revelation 5, and really what it's putting on display is, is the worship of God is all about His attributes, who He is, His qualities, His characteristics. He's worthy for all those things. But here in Romans 1, sinners suppress the truth about God. They don't glorify Him as He is. And look at verse 23. It says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. Verse 23, because they verse twenty-five rather, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. So creation is actually pointing us to the to the creator. But we're not to worship and focus on the things of this world. We're to focus on the One who made this world. But all that goes wrong here in this chapter is when they're exchanging the, the glory that they're created for. The glory of God and the truth about God for what's not true about God. For lies, lesser things. They're, they're exchanging creation for the Creator. They're actually trading the immortal God for these things. For these images, and the Scripture talks about how we can have mental images of God as well. Worship of anything less or lower than He is. God made man in His, in his own image, right, in, in Genesis. In His own likeness, God created man. The problem is man tries to return the favor. Man tries to make God in our own image, according to our own likeness, what we would like God to be. Listen to God's rebuke in Psalm 50, verse 21. God says, You thought that I was just like you. And He says, I will rebuke you. Consider this, you who forget God. He says, in other words, forget who He really is, or I will tear you in pieces and there will be none To deliver. You thought, God says, that I was just like you. Martin Luther said to Erasmus 500 some years ago, Your thoughts of God are too human. That was the problem in their debates about salvation and, and all those things. Your thoughts of God are too human. This man-centered, God-lowering thinking is the root of all kinds of bad fruit in our lives. And as Paul was talking in Acts 17, he talked about images that can be in our thoughts, formed in the thought of man, that we must repent of. Anytime we make God in our image or our likeness or what we would like Him to be is is very serious. It could, it could be a sentence like this. Well, I like to think of God as... And then you fill in the blank. Or, on Judgment Day, I think it will be like this. Or, you know, I don't like to think of God as... I think we have free will, so God can't do what this verse says. You know, that, that doesn't seem fair to me. So, so I think... Or I know this verse says this, but my image of God is... Or when I picture Jesus, I have this image in my mind. Romans 1 warns us against exchanging images of God for things that we know here on earth. And it actually warns against judgment that comes on those who suppress the truth about God or exchange it what we think or would like God to be is irrelevant at best and it is idolatry at worst anytime we have an image or thought of God that is different than the fullness of who he is revealed in scripture is is putting another god before God we're to put nothing before him that's how the 10 commandments begin this is important to God Christians sometimes will say things like, well, my God is a, a God of love, and, and it's the way they talk. It's like He's all love. Like that's their favorite attribute, but we can't just pick our favorite attributes. It's not just have it your way. That might work for Burger King, but that's not the Bible. Or to see Him as a heavenly repairman is how some professing Christians would see Him. You know, He's on call. He's there if we need Him, but... We don't really want him in our house all the time. You know. We just want him there to help us out when there's a crisis or maybe a celestial Santa Claus is another one. In fact, Steve Lawson's book on the attributes made in our image, a user-friendly God, the, the cover has an empty throne in heaven with a, with a Santa hat on it. He writes in that book, Gospel light is being replaced with a light gospel. Gospel LITE, L-I-T-E. Preaching has been replaced with performance. Exposition in many churches has been replaced with entertainment. But he says, as our view of God has suffered, so have our ministries and lives. Only when our vision of God is restored will our lives and ministries be put right. A right vision of God must be the driving force behind the church and behind our individual lives it's only that that can bring his all glorious present and all sufficient power to bear on our lives so that we can be what he desires us to be not for him to be what we desire him to be and so this is so important and i want to look through this passage now how is god's power and nature seen in romans 1:20 says it's in creation in creation since the beginning of the world. All around the world, wherever people have lived, whether it's on a remote island or on, with other, lots of people around them in the big cities, people have perceived that there, is, there must be an eternal power before this earth that made it. There must be a God, and it's very likely He's a God who's powerful, that we're accountable to. And, and, and so even as people look at nature... They can see something of the divine nature. His invisible attributes, in, in some ways, are visibly perceived. They're, they're seen. Notice it says they're invisible attributes, but we, we can clearly, through our senses, perceive them. The stars would be one example, as you look at a starry sky, or the, the rolling thunder. You ever hear the, the, the thunder, or see the, the lightning, and. It's, it's things like that, that God's power throughout the universe is, is displayed. Hebrews 1.3 says, The Lord upholds the universe by the word of His power. So His power is what's actually holding everything together right now. But Here in Romans 1.19, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So the things that He made are where we see that, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him. The they are those who are dishonoring God here, the, the they in verse 18 who suppress the truth about God, those whose his wrath is being revealed to, verse 21 says, even they actually know that there is a God. Atheists say they don't believe in God. God says here he doesn't believe in atheists. They know. But the problem is they've been suppressing the truth. They've been dishonoring Him, and it, it does affect their thinking. It does warp and make futile their thinking and makes it dark so, so that they really are deceived in their, in their thinking. But still, even with all of that, creation is still showing that there is a Creator. The things that have been made are still pointing to a maker. The the design, the intelligent design around us points us to an incredible designer. It's as plain as day, literally. It's as plain as day and night and all the time. It's indisputable. And Romans says, man is inexcusable. Go with me to chapter 10. As we think about creation. It was John Calvin who called creation the theater of God's glory. I like that image. As you, as you go out from here today, and as, as you go out tonight, if 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 you can see the stars, it's a it's a theater of God's glory. But Romans ten fourteen asks how can how can people all around the world call on God? How are they going to believe in a God they haven't heard of, and how can they hear unless someone tells them about the Lord but look at Romans 10:18 there's a sense that they have heard he says but i ask have they not heard indeed they have for quote their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world paul is quoting from roman or psalm 19 about how creation actually is telling the whole world about god at least On some level, at least some of his attributes, his his power and nature. So I want to spend some time in Psalm 19, because Paul is really, in Romans 1 and Romans 10, building off of what Psalm 19 and other psalms say. I remember hearing R.C. Sproul on the radio talk about times where someone would ask him in class, what about the innocent person who lives in a faraway land and, and jungle who who hasn't heard, do they just go to heaven when they die? And he says, yes, absolutely. Any innocent person uh, who, who dies goes to heaven. He says that the problem, though, is there are no innocent people. We think of innocent people, but they're, they're not innocent. According to what Romans 1 has said, there's creation, there's conscience inside of them. But there's a psalm here that talks about the message that that makes the world accountable, even those who don't have further revelation. There is a revelation they have, and Psalm 19 is a psalm of David for the choir. But he talks about the heavenly choir. Verse 1, "...the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech." And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. That's what Paul quotes. And in them he has set a tent for the sun. So this is the revelation of God. It's, it's going forth. The skies, the, the heavens, day to day, night to night. There's, there's a message that's going forth about... God, it's clearly revealed. It's showing His power and, and showing His nature. And then He begins to move from the night sky to the sun in verses 4 and following. We, we've been going through a study in our young adult group called The Blazing Center. And the opening session talks about how the sun, that, that blazing center of our solar system, how it, it blazes at 6,000 degrees centigrade. And, and how massive the galaxy is around it, the, the galaxy that we're in, 587,000 trillion. So those are the thousands before the trillion, miles across. A trillion, I think, is a million with six more zeros after. I mean, you just, it's just mind-boggling to think about the distances and, and even traveling at the speed of light, how long it takes to just travel through our little part of the universe. And our galaxy is itty bitty compared to the rest of the universe if you could pan out and maybe you've, you've seen some of those visualizations where you you start with with earth and us and then it kind of shrinks down and becomes small and then you begin to pan out and you see these other planets going around the sun and then you keep going farther away and you see the the milky way and you keep going back farther and and farther and pretty soon the milky way you just you can't even see it anymore it's not even just tiny it's it's microscopic, and you keep going, and you're just, you're just still in our neighborhood of the, of the universe. And in that study, it was talking about how man is created just on this one little planet, and some scientists or skeptics might say, well, if, if that's true, if there's a God, and He created us, and He creates us and just puts us on this little planet, and there's all this other stuff, a lot of it we're not even going to ever see, that seems like a lot of wasted space. I mean that. That seems like what's the point of all that if we're just occupying this little teeny planet? What's that about? <laughs> and the answer is that that would be wasted space if it were about us. If this was created for us and if it were about us, but Psalm 19 is saying the heavens are not talking about us. The heavens, the universe, are declaring the glory of God. It's about Him. It's not about us. This is making a statement about the bigness of God who is bigger than the universe. And the fact that there is so much space and and we are so tiny shows us that compared to God, we are insignificant in and of ourselves. What's really significant is the glory of God and, and who made it that way to do it that way. God made it that way to make a statement about His glory. He designed the universe to talk about him, his glory, his eternal power, his divine nature, his attributes are on display, his bigness, his greatness and, and verse two says it 's twenty four seven it 's day and night and, and verse three says it 's global, we could say it 's universal there 's no place on earth that can't say they, have, that can, they can say they have not heard this 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 message, though, is visual. It's not verbal. There's no speech. There's no words with this voice that is going out. There's another psalm, Psalm 29, that says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The voice of the Lord is powerful. That's like Romans 1, is His power and creation. And it says, Worship the Lord. The Lord sits enthroned as king he's over it all oh worship the king all glorious above and gratefully sing his power and his love don't be like those in romans 1 who did not glorify even though they knew god didn't honor him or glorify him as god and we're not thankful we're not grateful that's how his power in nature is seen but what should our response be Our response should be, we should be those who praise God for His power and nature. We should be those who proclaim His power to save. We should praise God for His power and nature. Romans 1 says these things are on display. They're clearly seen, but many are, are not glorifying God. They're not thankful, and they're worshiping and serving lesser things. This is, this is the world apart from Christ. Those who are in Christ should be praising God for His power and nature. And we should be doing it more as we see His nature, as we see His world. We should be among those as we look at it that are, that are often saying, praise God. What a glorious God we serve. Even as we look at the countryside around us, as we see the, the beautiful snow-covered mountains here, as we see the the sunset, some of the most amazing sunsets in, in my life I've seen here, as we see that, we should give glory and praise to God. Not be those who are not thankful or just consumed with our, ourselves. We need, to, we need to worship and praise Him and honor Him as God. Ephesians 3.20 says, To Him who is able to do immeasurably far beyond all that we can ask or think according to His power that is at work within us. So that power that's at work within us, to Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. That's what His power that He's talking about in Romans, His power is working in us so that we can glorify Him in the church and as parts of His church, parts of His body doing the ministry He's called us to. But while we're here in the Psalms, we could go all over Scripture with this, but just Psalm 68 says, sing praises to the Lord whose power is in the skies. As you see His power on display in the skies. You ever see those clouds, those amazing clouds that, that form? You see the, the thunder, you see the rain. You see, as you see that, we should sing praises to the Lord whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God. He gives power and strength to His people. Blessed be God. So here's the good news about this big and blessed and glorious God, He gives power to His people. Isaiah 40 is a place you could look at. It talks about God's power and glory and creation, the stars and, and how little we are. And, and He goes through all of that. But then at the end of it, He says, He gives power to the weak, to those who lack Might. He increases. Strike. This is what our God does. This big and massive God actually cares about his people. In that chapter, he's like a a shepherd. He's gathering the lambs in his arm. He's gently leading those who are with young, even mothers of, of little ones. He is caring for in that way. And he gives power to those who lack power. So we should praise him. We should trust him. We should. We should pray to Him for that power that we need through His Spirit. And there's other psalms that talk about how God's power opens the waters. God's power established the mountains. And so I want to encourage you, even as you see the, those mountains over there, which are really amazing. I, I hope you don't take them for granted. Those mountains actually should cause us to sing the mighty power of God who made the mountains rise who spread the flowing seas abroad, and he built those lofty skies. His, everywhere we look, it's displayed. Wherever we turn our eye, if, if we can just actually survey the ground we tread, if we can actually just look up and gaze upon the sky, the song says, there's not a plant or flower below that doesn't make his glories. No, and have you ever just stopped and looked at it and even taken apart and, and, and seen the, the buds of a flower, the details that God has before us all the time. There was a brother here at the the church many years ago, and, and he would he would do that when we were outside, he would he would st- stoop down and he'd pick up a, a little flower, a plant, and he would begin to describe it to you. It was Bill Donnet if you remember him and he would he would talk about that and then he would talk about the, the trees and creation and he says, Have you ever just noticed how the how the, the trees are and how God has designed that and how that should make us think of, of Him. And, and He was teaching me about God's glory. But we need to help each other see those things. Psalm 147 says God's power and divine nature is on display as He gives snow like wool. It says He scatters frost. Any of us seen wool like snow, frost around here? God's been doing that. God has been... Putting on display around us, reminders of His nature, His his attributes. And even as we see snow, even as we see the white, we can be reminded of truths in Scripture about how God designed that so that we would think about how our sins can be white like snow through Him. And it says in Psalm 147, that same psalm, verse 4, He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. So that's his power right there. All the stars. He's he's numbering them. He's giving them all names. He's keeping track of them all the time. Stars that we will never see, even with this new telescope that came out. They're all there all the time, created by his Pleasure for his glory every day and night. The divine nature is on display in the skies above and the ground beneath. Every sunrise, every sunset, every magnificent scene that is beyond what a, any artwork of man can create and, and pictures can't even do it justice. Every dazzling starlit sky is shouting out about God's glorious power. Parents. Ted Tripp says the most important thing we can do for our kids is to be dazzled by God. To to see God for who He is. To seek to pass that on. Something of the weightiness and, and bigness and glory of our God. A Puritan father gave his most important advice to his son. He said, first and last, think magnificently about God. Teach your hearts to reverence Him in every place. Think magnificently about God. I have to ask myself, do I think magnificently about God enough? Am I, am I dazzled by God Enough, do I meditate on these things? That's what we're called to do in the Psalms. And Psalm 78:4 says, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power. We need to tell them about his power. Psalm 145: Let each generation tell his children, its children, of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. Says they will give examples of your power. This is what we need to do to the next generation. You can, you can do this on Thursday night. Those of you that are serving with kids, you can do this as a, as a grandparent when you're spending time with kids as well to, to tell them, give them examples of God's power in your life. We need that. Our generation needs that. It's so consumed with little screens and, and we need to be told by you the bigness of Of our God. I think the kids' song has it right. My God is so big, so strong, so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And we might theologically say, well, actually, God can't sin. God can't go. Okay, I understand all that, but God is so big. God is so strong, so mighty. Within his nature, there is nothing he cannot do. But I think we as adults sometimes, it's like our God is so small, so weak, not almighty. And so we're just not sure what I can do. We don't sing that, but sometimes it's like we believe that. It's like we've forgotten who God is. And He becomes small. He doesn't, we don't see Him as almighty. But the creation around us reminds us. The creation around us is singing right now about God's eternal power and God's divine nature. And so I think we need to examine our hearts. What are we doing to draw our hearts away from this world to the God who made this world? Are we... Dazzled by God, or are we so consumed with lesser things that we don't even give the time for God and His Word? We've got to be in His Word. And I would encourage you, if you're looking for that in particular, the Psalms, uh, Job 38 to 42, Isaiah 40, and, and following are great places to stir your heart and be reminded of who God is. Let's not let's not grow immune to God's constant reminders. In Revelation, Let's not have an immunity to what He is doing around us in this world if we will but look up. One of the young gals in our young adult study shared this song. I remember it from years ago, but it really spoke to this by Stephen Curtis Chapman. It says, sometimes it's like I'm playing Game Boy in the middle of the Grand Canyon. It's a little computer game like I'm playing Game Boy in, in the middle of the Grand Canyon. It's like I'm eating candy sitting at a gourmet feast. It's like I'm splashing in a puddle when I could be swimming in the ocean. What's the matter with me? Wake up and see your glory. That's how it can be. It's like we, we've got our, our little thing and, and there's, the, there's the Grand Canyon. There's the grand purposes of God around us. And we're, we're being satisfied on this what can't satisfy us, when there's gourmet food, there's this little puddle that we're, we're jumping around and splashing in like, like little kids when there's a, there's a whole ocean that's available to us. What's wrong with us? Wake up and see your glory. If you're still in the Psalms, look over at Psalm 8, verses 3 through 4, where David says, as I, as I consider... Verse 3, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? As we think about how many stars, how many galaxies there are, and the psalmist says, he knows them all by name. Here's the reality. He is mindful of us. He does care for us. That's what the psalmist is amazed about. What, who are we that you would care for us in the way that you have? Who are we that you would be so mindful of us, that you would keep track of all those stars, that you would keep track of everything here on planet Earth to the degree that Jesus said not even a bird can ever land anywhere on this planet apart from his will and not even a hair on our head as well can fall outside of His plan. That is His power, and that is His nature. That is our God that you can trust. That is our God whose power is available for you in whatever you will face this year. This is our God. Behold our God. There's an astronaut named Jeff Williams. Many years ago, he called my pastor at the time Phil Johnson and uh Phil said how you doing where are you he says oh i'm i'm up in outer space looking down at california right now he was orbiting earth and he on that mission actually did a spacewalk for 7 hours that's where you're you're literally just walking out in outer space you're tied to the international space station there but literally under your feet you can either see the earth or you can see The universe. There's no peripheral light. So you're seeing an unbelievable display before you. And this is what Jeff Williams, he's a born again Christian, said words cannot describe the majesty and the grandeur of it. It says pictures don't do justice to the incredible size and beauty of God's creations. The the heavens are actually telling. The glory of God. The expanse is showing the work of His hands, His handiwork. Job 26, He stretches out the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. He drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters at the boundary of light and darkness. By His Spirit, He adorned the heavens. <clears throat> I'm picturing even as we adorn some of our Christmas trees. <clears throat> God adorned the heavens. He decorated them. And it says, these are the mere edges of his ways. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? This is just the the hint, the whispers of who he is. It gives us a hint of how big he is. The splendor of the stars gives us a a hint of his greater splendor. Senator John Glenn said, I don't think you can be up here and look out the window as I did the first day and see the earth from this vantage point point." To look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God. And James Irwin, first astronaut to ride the moon buggy on the moon, his trip into space was so moving that he later became a Christian evangelist. This was in 1971 when he went, and this is what he wrote. Viewing Earth from his spaceship, he says, the the Earth reminded us of a Christmas tree ornament, you know, hanging out there, but as we went away, it kept getting smaller, smaller, and smaller, and then it seemed like it was the size of this marble, this little marble. Most beautiful marble. He says, seeing this has to change a man, it has to make a man appreciate the creation and love of God. See, the creation all around us is declaring his glory. The heavens are declaring his glory. We need to join heaven in glorifying him like like the worship of Revelation, Revelation four eleven, worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And in chapter five, we heard earlier of this loud voice of all those who are saying to the Lamb, "Be glory and power and might and." Honor And there's an innumerable multitude in chapter 7 who were, who were doing the same thing. And then chapter 19, as the Lord comes again, He says, I heard the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. And this is the power that's at work in saving sinners. This is the power that needed to be at work to save us. From how deep we were in our sins. Psalm 106 8 says, God saved them for his namesake. That's another way to say, for his glory. He saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. Why are we saved? Why are we here? It's so that he would make his power known. It's the power of God in salvation. This is where we started in Romans 1. Verse 16, the gospel is the power of God and God's divine nature, God's eternal power should make us eager to proclaim this gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Psalm 67 says that we need to pray that God would bless us, that his, his power would be made known to all the earth so that the nations would be glad. And here's a great prayer. Psalm 71, verse 18. I think I read this last week. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation. I said it last week, and I'll say it again this week. If we are here this year, and you are all here this year, it is because God wants us to declare his power, God giving us another year of life, is so that we would share His power to the next generation. His power that is in control of all the things in the universe, upholding them by the word of His power, never losing a star. I love the line that says, "You place the stars in the sky. You know them by name, and you know the depths of my heart, and you love me the same. You are amazing." God, And that power, Paul would say in Corinthians, is actually made perfect in our weakness. The power is not from us. We're jars of clay to show that the power is not from us. So let's remember that this year. Let's pursue knowing him more and the power of his resurrection more this year. And let's know that even in our weakness, his power is at work. Maybe not even in, especially in our weakness. So let's pray for him his strength and his power. Our great God, we thank you for the great truth of your eternal power and your divine nature and that you share that power, you give that power to us who are weak and you share your divine nature with us through your spirit to empower us to love and to live and to to grow more. I pray God that you would help your people, this church, and each of us in our families, and our lives, with whatever struggles we face or are facing, that we would see your power at work, and that we would tell your power and your gospel to others this year, and that we might see people saved among us this year for the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen.